I want to tell you about a Wednesday night I will never forget. My dad was in the last months of his life at home in Stanton, Kentucky. Stanton is a small mountain town and he lived there with his wife Mary Carmen and their house was right next door to the Methodist church where they worshipped. And my dad found God in the last years of his life to such an extent that he was inspired to teach Bible study every Wednesday and he did to a pretty big group of men and women, about 20 of them. And he loved teaching, he loved the conversations, the discussions, the debates. And anyway, this particular Wednesday night, for the first time ever, he couldn't make it next door to the church. He was just, his cancer was too advanced. He was too weak. So we were sitting with him in the living room talking about this. And he really felt he was live, letting his students down. And he was so sad about it, even though we knew that they had all the sympathy in the world. And so we sat there in the quiet early evening and you could hear the crickets outside as we sat there drinking sweet tea and he was feeling sad. Suddenly a knock at the door and one by one 20 members of his Bible study group came trooping in encircling my dad and a spokesman stepped forward and said Don we know you aren't feeling too well tonight so we decided to bring class to you and you should have seen my dad's face light up now really he was too sick to lead this Bible study but there was something happening there that evening all the same the group just kind of stood around him men women old young poor prosperous in that early evening and each of them was clutching a well-worn Bible of course a duct tape Bible like we often have in the south and class members started to tell some funny stories and I think one of the ladies had brought a cake in Kentucky there's always cake and another a casserole and they passed them over to Mary Carmen and after a while after a while of this time just spent together they left all 20 trooped out into the night they had not opened their Bibles, but it sure felt like Bible study. And the rest of the evening, my dad just couldn't stop laughing and beaming and saying, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. Class came to me. Now feeling left behind, feeling alone, feeling isolated, unimportant, it's devastating. And we learned this this past year. More than ever before in our lives we understand what it feels like to be isolated. And in South Africa they have a saying and the, the word is Ubuntu and it means we can't be who we are unless everyone is well. My well-being depends on your well-being and vice versa and Jesus tells us the same thing. Love each other care for each other be willing to die for one another and this willing to die level of love loving connectedness is how we live and now I want to share with you something that a Christian theologian Dorothy Soul said once she was telling a story she said I have a neighbor an elderly childless man who lost his wife not long ago one day he called me over to show me some damage. 
the scratches that some children's had, children had made on his property with their bicycles. And he said, just look at what they've done. And she goes on to say, my neighbor had worked hard for what he had, lived in that house a long time, kept it in repair. Suddenly it dawned on me that this man was dead. He had died from no longer having any kind of relationship with another human being. Now maybe that sounds harsh to you, harsh for her to call this man dead, not literally dead obviously, but dead inside. But I had the very same experience once speaking to an older man that I know, not a member of this congregation. I'd asked him how a mutual friend was doing and he said, oh, I don't do relationships anymore. And what he meant literally was I am no longer connecting in any meaningful way with other people. I'm done with all that. And just like Dorothy Soul's neighbor, you could say that he's dead. Now, the people, oh sorry, the people in the two stories in today's gospel are near death, literally the hemorrhaging woman who bleeds nonstop and the little girl mortally ill who in fact does die in the story. The woman has been bleeding for 12 long years. She's been to every doctor, spent all her money trying to get better. That tells us she's unusual. She used to have money. In those days, 90% of the people lived in poverty. 1%, you know, were super wealthy. And so to even have been to doctors shows that she was quite well to do. And like so many of our friends who visit our soup kitchen, and are living on the street, she used to have a different life. She used to have a different kind of place in the world. And when illness marked her as impure, which is how they viewed illness in those days, the community's acceptance turned to rejection. And according to the purity codes of the time, she really shouldn't have even been around other people. And yet, here she is, no money, no people to help her, one last-ditch effort for help. She burrows through that crowd and reaches out to grab the hem of the robe of this traveling holy man. Meanwhile, a little girl teeters on the brink of death, and her frantic father, Jairus, a synagogue leader, an important person, makes, just like the hemorrhaging woman, a last-ditch effort for help from Jesus. What does either of them have to lose? Now, the hemorrhaging woman suffers physically, of course, from her illness, but still, I think for her, the suffering that's worse is the loneliness, the isolation, living life as an outcast. And the little girl, Jairus' daughter, the death of one so young causes a deep, deep wound in the family and in the community. In these two stories, Jesus returns people to their families and their communities, the hemorrhaging woman, the little girl, the grieving father, all made whole. Now we know living and dying in the physical sense, that's the deal for us humans. Human life is finite, but dying while we're still alive the bleeding woman's isolation, Jairus' despair, that's something Jesus 
can do something about. And so these key moment moments in Mark's gospel show us the beauty of people restored to their community, Ubuntu regained. And this is what Jesus wants for all of us. Jesus wants every one of us to feel fully alive, alive while we are alive, not isolated or lost or forgotten. And we know, again, like never before, what isolated and lost and forgotten feels like. Because especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when everybody was shut up in their homes, we felt that feeling of being cut off from community, unable to visit loved ones who were in the hospital, nursing homes, unable to see our friends and children and parents and grandparents, sometimes for over a year, unable to hug. And when someone says, I don't do relationships anymore, or I don't matter, we witness the ongoing tragedy of isolation. And to counteract this living death, Jesus constantly builds relationships up, wanting everyone to feel as though they belong, to be part of the larger human family, eating and drinking with everyone. That's how he does it. And healing, curing the hemorrhaging woman. It's more than a physical healing. He tells her, go in peace, which is a core Jewish blessing. And he calls her daughter. So that everyone in that crowd standing around understands that she is part of God's family. And after he wakes up the little girl with the words Talitha Kum, he tells the family, give her something to eat. Again, there it is, warmth, family, community, meals, cake. <laughs> One last thought, and it's about the crowds who are everywhere in these stories. It's quite amazing. They're, they're just these surging crowds, this image of intense togetherness. In today's gospel, we hear a great crowd gathered around Jesus. A large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Imagine what that feels like for him. We read that the, the hemorrhaging woman came up behind him in the crowd. And then in that moment that you heard when the power, he could feel the power going out of him, he asks, who touched my clothes? And I think it's hilarious that the disciples shoot back. You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched you? Arriving at the home of the little girl, we hear that many people were weeping and wailing loudly. And there you have a grieving crowd community in these stories. It's so visceral. It's all those bodies pressing in on Jesus, looking for his strength, his healing. Now, community isn't always a positive force. We know that. Some of us have come up through communities that were not healthy for us. They're not always a force for good. Sometimes they hurt. Sometimes communities lose their way. Sometimes communities have never found their way, and it's our work to make sure that we're constantly building and repairing communities that actually nurture 
support, care, and restore. Restore us, all of us, to wholeness. Then, we hear it in the stories today, and today, now, we feel it this morning here at St. James in the city. I don't know if we've ever felt more how precious it is, community. And I'm talking about the physical community in this room, and I'm talking about the community that's growing all the time at home, folks who are with us via live stream, all the ways that we are meeting now via Zoom and other groups. We've never understood better than we understand in our bones right now that we are made for community. We're made for Ubuntu. And without it, we lose so much of who God actually created us to be. Again, that wholeness. So I just want to leave you again with that image of my dad's Bible study class encircling him, how they held him in community. And let us do the same, forming the widest circle we can possibly imagine and then asking God's help to build a community that leaves no one out. Amen.